agree. It's just it's it's strange. So I well and well whatever. Uh, so I expected more sex and drugs and rock and roll in a in the Vice episode I, I issue. I, I guess maybe. Well, and, and and that was actually something else. I mean, it felt like it was sort of like selectively in depth. You know, uh, there were certain things that were just completely fucking glossed over, while other things. I felt like they could have used a little bit more, uh, or sorry, maybe a little bit less elaboration. I mean, you know, it's great that, you know, there are so many stories to be told about, you know, this prostitute or, I don't know, that tobacco factoid or something like that. It just would have been nice if that had been, that same amount of diligence had been more spread across the whole thing. So, I don't know. Uh, So, (laughs) how you doing? I'm well, I'm well. Um, it's been a, I gotta tell you, dude, it's been a wacky past couple of days because uh, yesterday, in fact, you know what? I'm gonna pull up my little honeydew list from yesterday. Let's see here. Yes, here we go. Uh, yesterday, uh, I had to record with Professor Allen. Um, then after that, I mean, like moments after finishing that up, I had to rush out the door to pick up some tickets to uh, a Billy Joel concert that my girlfriend. Oh, yeah. So we're going to go in or are you just getting them for a friend. Oh, no, I got uh, there for me and my girlfriend. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, we're going in uh, like he's coming to town. Uh, shit. October. He's one of the f- people. He's one of the like on my short list of people I've never gotten to see that I have to see. You know, yeah, there's a. There are not very many of those. I mean, keep in mind, I'm not a big concert guy to begin with. Not very many people on my list, but uh, yeah, uh, he's definitely uh, one of them. I mean, there are just not very many people out there who do what he does the way he does it. So I had to get that. Yesterday, uh, also had to call up Comcast and then bitch him out for a bunch of different things. Basically, the uh, our internet service went tits up. A couple of weeks ago, so we called, made an appointment for a tech to come out, and I shit you not, dude, like maybe five or ten minutes before he got here, the shit just came back to life all by itself. Have, have you been reading about the guys, all the guys, I know Elon Musk is doing it, but there's like three other companies that are, do, that are putting up satellites with the plans of just having, basically bathing the world in high-speed internet. Mm-hmm. And all you'll need to pick it up is an antenna, you know, or a receiver type of deal for it. Uh, you know what? Um, I, no, I didn't know a whole lot about that, but I got to tell you, dude, something's got to give because it's 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 it's. The, I've been wondering when somebody would just go. I I heard I was reading about the uh, the dark web or the deep web, and how much more information there was stored in the deep web than in the normal web that most people access. And one of the quotes, and this was in like Wired, which is like pop tech magazine, mm-hmm. but they said something like, you know, there's there's 750 terabytes of information on the regular web that most people use. And when you get in the deep, you know, it's got 250 terabytes or something like that. And I'm thinking, yeah. that's it? <laughs> that's wow. all? 750 terabytes? That's, you know, I could... If I if I ran enough plugs, I could get enough hard drives to store that that much on hard drives in a, in my house. Well, keep in mind, I, I like, mean, that is completely unknowable at this point. I mean, like back in 1996, right. 
you could measure the internet. I don't think you can now. All we have right. are estimates. But they're just basically they're just basically gonna set up their own infrastructure and and input. So you'll just have a a regular old another in, internet. The same, you know, the exact same parallel uh, parallel internet. It'll it's gonna be really interesting. I mean, that'll be like death for the Comcast companies. Just literally death. <laughs> No well, matter how much it costs for that, if it costs a thousand dollars for that receiver, people will still buy it. Well, the way I look at it is something's got to give, all right? Because you know, Comcast and those like like basically the big telcos, just like them, are are in so many ways dinosaurs. And yes. what I I personally I work in a very tech-oriented um, type of environment, right? Where right. A lot of people really do have their hands on the pulse, and I, I personally don't know one person, not one, who A, knows of Google Fiber, and B, isn't jerking off to the prospect of having it, okay? Right. They cannot wait, cannot right. fucking wait to call up Comcast and say, get out of my fucking line. Go away, yeah. You know, they live for the day, and you know, whether it's Google, whether it's this other guy, the satellite thing you were talking about. Sooner or later, dude, something's got to give because the way that we're doing things right now, if we know nothing else, it fucking does not work. All right? Well, the Comcast, the, the, the Comcast company, it's been funny because I've been watching it over the last few years. The Comcast companies are basically they represent TV. You know, they're they're they're, you know, the cable companies mm -hmm. and they don't like the Internet because it's just a better delivery system than they are. And now it's, you know, now it's to the point everybody just runs that can run their computer into their, you know, high def TV and just watch stuff in high def through the computer like they did on TV. And so the past few years, you know, there's been those constant, you know, they're trying to shut down the internet, blah, blah, blah. And they were trying to, trying to get legislation passed. And meanwhile, I think it was basically the government just, the government knows, everybody knows that the future is the internet, not the Comcast companies. So I think the government <clears throat> stalled on that until they could sufficiently rouse all these new internet zillionaire businesses like Google and Facebook and get them to go like, look at, look at these Comcast companies are spending their, you know, hundreds of millions on, uh, on lobbying and, <clears throat> And you want a free, you know, you want a free internet. You got to get in the game. So I think basically, what happened with net neutrality was finally, Amazon and Google and eBay and all those guys ponied up enough money to to have the government go, okay, well we'll we'll enforce net neutrality, and uh, and I think that's what they wanted to do all the time, but you know they weren't going to do it without getting their getting their, you know, establishing that if you're going to be players in the game, you've got to start pumping the money in the right direction. So I think that's what sort of happened over the last five years. And it's it's it works out okay for us, but who knows how it's going to work out when, you know, when we actually get to look at the legislation. So I love the idea of of basically free internet it, it'll it'll just screw it'll just screw everything 
how can you compete with that? You you will not be able to compete with that without somehow just trying to squelch it or destroy it. But the thing is, all the um, all it's all happening now because all the companies have just worked all their stuff through to get. I think Elon Musk is launching fifty satellites to start out with, mm-hmm. and then. A lot, he's going to have like 1,500 satellites up to support it, and it's going to be 10 times faster than this internet. He's he's the showman of the, the group. There's another guy who's doing it that they've actually had satellites up, and they've done tests, and they actually think they can do it with less satellites and even faster than that. So there's going to be all the... There's at least three or four companies right now seeing who can get the faster free internet. Well, That's and awesome competition. <laughs> well, and you know, like and, and stuff like that, I'm actually really okay with because the internet is a, I guess, as a communications medium, as basically a new medium mm-hmm. in the human experience. Mm-hmm. There's something about it that inherently wants to be free anyway, and so I, I put it on the border of human evolution. <laughs> if not, you know, I don't know uh, if. Maybe if I had more education in brain neurology or or evolution <laughs> and stuff like that, I would I would say I would call it. But it's like it's a quantum leap in communication, mm-hmm. and it's and we're seeing all the shit that's happening now on all levels as as a fallout of it. You know, of all of a sudden it's been adopted. Uh, you know that I've I've already. Fi- I, I've I've already decided that's why like going on to Facebook is a shit show, and I was thinking ah you know if you replace Facebook with something else it's gonna be a shit show too because people are just figuring out how to deal with a whole room full of other people spouting off opinions without crumbling into a ball of putty crying on the floor. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know those of us who've been online. And I use that more like in quote marks, right? But like those of uh, us who have had, you know, BBSs or whatever, whatever you had access to in the early '90s, right? Mm-hmm. The, and I, that's me, you know. Uh, I've been online since like 1990 or 91 or something like that. So a lot of this stuff that I'm seeing on Facebook is, when I think about it, the form of it is different, but it's kind of old hat in a lot of ways, you know. But the um. The thing about, I, I guess, when you really think about it, 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 it's kind of absurd for these huge telecommunication companies to have anything to do with the internet at all. Right. Like when you really think about it, right? Other than being just like somebody else and having their own website up. Yeah. Right. Having any kind of control over it is. Well, and the, and the fact is, they've done so much to fight it. And I would. It's so easy to pick on the entertainment industry just because I'm I'm really at a loss. I say you can. I think the entertainment industry, like big media, Hollywood, whatever you want to call it, they have done more to to fight internet progress than the fucking law. Right, right. And 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 it's losing that, and it's not helping them. It's that they're fighting against their own, you know, self interest in the long run. They're just not looking at the big picture. There's there's a lot of things that are going to either be like taken down a, f- a few pegs or knocked out altogether because they won't be needed. 
I'm looking at the music industry. I mean, no one's gotten hit harder than they have. And of all, I think they were sort of the first to fall just because of all, uh, of them all, they they were the least equipped to to deal with the future. I mean, say whatever you want about. They're the most coke-addled, too. <laughs> That's well, a real actual, like, factor to put into it. The drug, well, coke just meaning drugs in general, but. Mm-hmm. The music industry is filled with, yeah, people who ha- literally probably have Swiss cheese holes in their brain. Well, and but when you think about it, what's the li- like the shelf life, whether anybody likes it or, or not, like the shelf life for your average rock band, right? You get maybe three or four years out of them, five if you're lucky, after which they kind of – they've sort of run their course as – uh, a force in media, and then you got to move on to the next thing. TV shows can and often do last longer even than that. And God knows movies do. People seem to never get tired of that. So it feels like the the live action or video side of the entertainment industry is, just by virtue of what they do, better equipped to deal with the changes than the music industry ever was, simply because of the nature of the content they produce and the schedule on uh, at which yep. it's released. And, but it, it, it kind of feels like, you know, w- when I really started thinking about it, when I think the digital revolution was very well under, uh, underway, probably like 2001, 2002, and the faces in the music industry were really fucking starting to change. And it hit me, these guys are going to be the first to go, but it may take 10 years. It may take 80 or a hundred, who knows? Sooner or later, though, Hollywood as we know it is going to go away too. Yeah, and the music industry is good. Yeah, and and like film and is Hollywood is being like a central point for for entertainment. Well, there'll be no point, and nobody will want to go. You know, why do we have to go live out in L.A.? And the music industry very soon, if not now, is reduced to you know the britney spears of the of the music world the the super basically whoever appeals to 12 year olds 12 year old girls right is is what it's profitable to you know that that's that's what you can justify being like all right we have to get this multi-million dollar producer in here and spend all this money in the studio whereas joe band now can sit in their living room and if they have some, you know, if they know what they want their sound to sound like and they have some experience on software, they can do it, you know, without having you, you're not at the mercy of all these of all these people who've had enough money to buy the multimillion dollar equipment that you need to use right. basically anymore. And uh, I, I that's what I was realizing. And I was in film school going, you know wondering whether i should be like happier or pissed off because i was thinking i'm in the last couple years of where where film school is like this where i where i'm going to be on and i have to sign out a room to go edit some video because i need three decks all hooked up together and you know six monitors and and the syncing machine and all that stuff and uh you know, in a few years, everybody's going to be doing all their projects in their dorm room, you know. And mm-hmm. I was like thinking, am I getting ripped off? Because I'm getting caught, taught the 
the skills of the past, you know, sitting on the 16 millimeter flatbed. Mm-hmm. Although the Walking Dead's made on 16 millimeters, so there's still people using. Well, they're probably not using a 16 millimeter flatbed. They're probably transferring it all the video and then editing it on video. So I didn't know about the 16 millimeter it, aspect, though. That's how they're shooting it. It doesn't look 16 millimeter to me, but whatever. Not anymore. It doesn't. It. Season two was the peak of them really like using it to their advantage. Maybe they've stopped using it. I'll have to look into it. But after, yeah, it was season season two when they were on the farm. They they uh they switched from high video to uh to super sixteen. Basically, the the only thing that bothers me, I guess, about you know the music industry going under, is that you know everybody knows those three or four bands that they have. I guess moderate uh, amounts of uh, success, but not quite to the level that they deserve. And really, for me, Defense Exhibit A is always going to be Explosions in the Sky. I love that fucking band. I think they are the, if they're not the best band that's going right now, they're in the top 10. There's no question about it, in my opinion. And at the same time, though, they don't have the most marketable sound in the world. Like, I don't know if you know who they are, but all they do no. is. Um, it's just instrumental. That's all they do. And let's face it, it's you can't really get top 40 stuff out of that. And on top of all of that... You can get one freakish hit, maybe, if you're lucky. That's historically is how it would happen. You know, like a fifth of Beethoven or something like that. Yeah. Or Green Onions by Booker T. Green Onions or... Um, oh, what was the... Oh, shit, I can't remember the name of it. Classical Gas. Oh, I, was, I thought you were going to say Rebel Rouser, but... Oh, yeah. and uh, there was um, that ELO one, uh, Fire From High, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. And but, you know, but the thing is, the other aspect is that, like, I don't think they have very many songs, like a few, but I don't think they have just tons of songs that are like that radio-friendly two-and-a-half to three-and-a-half-minute length. You know, uh, yeah, most are of this... like art-rock style? Or uh, post-rock. But, um, you know, I, the, what I usually... I try not to be a pretentious douchebag about it, but what I usually tell people is... They don't really have songs as such. They have compositions. Okay. And um, for some reason, when you put it that way, it's like people understand that it's not just a rock song that doesn't have vocals. You know, riff, 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 solo, riff, right. riff, 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 solo, bridge. You know, it's not like that. And um, so that, it seems like it, it helps people understand what exactly they sound like if they've never heard them before. But you can look them up on, on YouTube. They're worth listening to. And um, the fact is, though, they don't have the most commercial, most marketable, you know, uh, here and now type of sound. And so they end up doing a lot of soundtracks and movie scores and stuff like that because there's a limit to how far you can really go with that kind of just weird, fucked up type of music that only appears uh, uh, appeals to weirdos like you and me. Well, if you want to make a living as a musician, being a so doing soundtracks is a very good way to do it. If you get in a movie that does well, you get royalty checks for, you know, the rest of your life. So. Well, yeah, and it's just as I say, you know, I'm, I'm look. First off, I'm certainly not criticizing the practice. I'm just saying that, you know, in my ideal world, you know, they would be the platinum selling superstars. Right. You know. Oh and, my God. If if I <laughs> in my world of the like rock and roll Holland. Hall of Fame award ceremony every year. Oh my God, it would be such a different thing. Well, and you know, I and I agree with it. And by the time that you know Blink One Eighty Two uh, 
when they really, I think, hit it big. I, I look, I've never been a big punk rock guy, but at least by by the time they came along, I was a little more conversant with punk as a genre, right? Yeah. And the first time, like I I, I heard you know some of their songs, and you know whatever, it just sounded like just sort of top forty bullshit to me. Which isn't good. It's not bad. It's just it's it, it's what it is. Just that's there. all. Yeah. But then somebody said, and I thought they, I I truly thought they were kidding at first. They said, "Yeah, you know, punk rock. This is awesome." And I was, and I just like, "Yeah, punk rock. Tell me about it. Yeah, sure." I'm like, no, really. This that that's what this is. This is punk rock, dude. Like, really. Okay, See, I was, asshole. No, this, I, no. <laughs> I, I would almost if I was in some place in person, I would almost have to take that person for an afternoon and and say, "Well, come, uh, come here. <laughs> we could go and listen to some punk rock." <laughs> well, and you know, nobody you tell me how you like Blink One Eighty Two after that. You know. Yeah, and you know, I mean, like, look, nobody wants to be the asshole in the room that has to be the most punk rock dude there. You know, I'm certainly not, and I don't want to even be confused with that guy, but my God, man. You know, like this is – I mean, look, I feel like – You don't have to have a – you don't have to have a a safety pin through your nose to know that Blink-182 are full of shit. (laughs) Well, I I feel like, you know, there are are very few things when I think about it, very few things that I truly owe to Sid Vicious – but God damn it, dude, he deserves his legacy. You know, love yeah. or hate the guy, he deserves to have this label, and those assholes shouldn't mess it up for him. All right, that's just the way I feel about it. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, Blink-182 would cry at a G.G. Allen concert. I they would imagine. cry. Well, I, you know what? I don't think they would. I, I think they. I would cry at a G.G. Allen concert. <laughs> I don't think they would be allowed access. I mean, wouldn't you have pictures of those assholes sitting outside the security booth saying, don't let these don't let these guys in because they're a bunch oh, of dicks. No, no. And the Gigi Allen concert put them right in the front because they're going to get bathed in human shit within the first 10 minutes and probably physically assaulted. Gigi Allen's concerts usually ended in arrest in his arrest. <laughs> and with the with the <laughs> like, if you ever go, you can go on YouTube. There's quite a few concerts out there. They're usually about 10 or 15 minutes long of video because nobody sticks around to video unless they're up in a cage somewhere, which has happened a couple times. But, like, he would start doing a, his punk rock song, you know, standard, not very good punk rock, and then within 10 or 15 minutes he would us- usually start squatting down on the stage and taking a dump, and you could see... Like everybody like, yeah, punk rock. And then the smell hit him and then they would start moving back and then he would start flinging it and then the place would (laughs) empty out. (laughs) Well, and you know, there's a there's a chick actually that I work with and she really is a punk right now in this day and age to like meet somebody who is a punk like a real one. It's a kind of a rare thing, you know, so on the one hand, I'm kind of afraid that she might eat me. But on the other hand, I would love to just sit her down and just not even not even do anything except ask questions. You know? Most of the punk people I know are like usually the, the, in, in a lot of ways, they're hippies, really? <laughs> you know, and as far as like interpersonal communications are there. There's there's some that are hostile, but most of for the most part, they're not as hostile as. as well, I guess it all depends on. <laughs> 
where you are in the, you know, I, I think like punk rock has been relegated now to, um, local level, local bands. And, you Is know, that where I mean, it belongs? I, it had its chance during the Bush administration because traditionally this is, this is something Luke Jack and Eddie and I have discussed in length is traditionally during Republican um, administrations, punk rock will flourish and you won't get it in the top 40, but you'll start hearing about it in Rolling Stone or whatever. And you'll have angry bands that want to, you know, during, I mean, golden age of punk rock, Ronald Reagan, you know, mm-hmm. was, was there, was there, you know, sometimes just a, an official target. Other times it was just the, the, the climate of the day would, would do it. But they had two admit, they had two terms of Bush to, to get out there and punk rock it up and they didn't do it. And so, you know, not really expecting <laughs> expecting much. Hey, check your instant messages, huh? <laughs> yeah, she's she's got a little goth working in there too. A bit. It's there, there's so many. You know, I mean, there's so many. One of the local punk rock, you know, he's now getting older, so all the young punk rockers in one of the fan magazines he was talking about, like what punk rock clothes are good and how much you should pay for them. And, you know, you should never pay more than this for this, but you should pay at least this much to get a good set of this and that. It was hilarious. I was reading it just going, oh, man. But that's, you know, that's part of it, too. All the And they all fight over what, what category they're in and stuff. But, I, you know, I throw, like, talking heads into punk rock. Yeah, in, that's going in, a bit in far. In their context at the time. By the 80s, no, but like first, first, you know, when you see punk, almost anything you'd see at CBGB's during a certain time period could have been punk. Okay. And, you yeah. know, Debbie Harry, you know, and Blondie. Yeah. Well, I always thought of New Wave as basically punk rock trying to be mainstream. Trying to get a top 40 hit, yeah. Uh, and I don't know, it, it blows my mind that that type of music had like true believers to it but i don't know then again it, well it was great when it first came out and it was guitar driven but then when it got into the top 40 that's when the 80s hit it and it became this sort of weird synth sound thing that even bled into the like classic rock people no oh, geez unforgivable you know i mean look in general i consider the 80s to be a very interesting time in america's history but i gotta tell you dude that new wave stuff what the fuck it was a waste it was a it was a musical wasteland in a lot of ways <laughs> was if if you know i mean there's a glamorization of the mtv era of of that and mtv had a lot of good stuff on it when it first started out but once it became top four, you know once it became a top deal of it that the music just was so bland in the 80s and 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 it ble- and and you know it, you would hear like the new Eric Clapton or Bob Dylan album and be just like oh geez here comes synths and the drums up front and everything and it's just like ah oh, all the producers are making the same stuff. Well, I hadn't realized how irrelevant MTV had become. And keep in mind, I mean, you know, it didn't take long. <laughs> well, right, but I mean. I guess I, I want to be careful how I say it because there was a time when 
MTV really mattered, you know, and I don't mean this from the sense of, you know, art or anything like that. I mean it from strictly from a commercial standpoint, you know, MTV was kind of make or break, you know, and it was I grew up and I truly do not remember a time when MTV was not around. Right. That's kind of my angle on it. And it was just generally understood that if a band couldn't get some kind of exposure on MTV, their long-term prospects were pretty fucking bleak. Right, right. And when that changed, I'm not asking you to love this band. I'm not asking you to uh, go out and buy some concert tickets or anything like that. I'm just asking you to, to acknowledge I've got a fucking point here. This band made it big, not because of MTV, in spite of MTV, and right. that is Creed. They, oh, jeez. Yeah, they toured like motherfuckers, and they got a lot of radio play. That's it. And there came a point when MTV kind of stopped defining what's cool, and then they just started only reflecting what people, other people decided was cool. They were no longer the tastemakers. No, they became FM radio after a while, basically. Right. And Top 40 radio. And who the hell knows when it happened? I'm just saying that I didn't really notice that. Until, you know, Creed came along when I realized, you know, I don't watch a whole lot of MTV, but I don't think I've ever seen a Creed video on MTV ever. And at the time, it was true. You know, that fucking they'd never been played. It's strange to think of such a time now, but I promise you it did exist. And it just kind of makes you wonder, you know, what it, what exactly is it that happens that something that I think was MTV was never like the equivalent of Saturday Night Live for music. But there was a point when it was. It was, they were on to something, and then it just fucking went away. And w- when does that happen, you know? I don't know. Creed, Creed it was a weird story because they came out of, they, they came out of Christian rock in, in a lot of ways. And uh, that, at that time period, Christian rock had, this, had the huge, and I imagine it still does, has a huge like internal support system. Like it's a huge, mar- it's a humongous market, but it's not on MTV, and they, and and I don't know if they were called Creed. They were called Creed for a while, and they were you know quote unquote a Christian band, but they you know there's so many categories of that. They were one of the ones that were less overt. You know, they were more you know, ob- um, oblique, I guess, in their references of in their in their lyrics and stuff. And they, they ended up in this weird place where a lot of the Christian people were like, ah, they're not Christian enough. But then there, there were people like didn't want to listen to them as a rock band because they're a Christian band. And they sort of veered into, into, the, into the rock land. And to their benefit, they pummeled themselves into the top 40, you know, mm-hmm. and, and were able to do it. Um. Well, the uh, I've I've had to sit through a few Creed concerts, so I was not a big fan. Well, I wouldn't imagine, but I don't but know. But it's I mean, more the style than anything. You know, it wasn't it was I. It was I. You know, I cannot remember. Like I can't in my mind like picture what the Creed concert was like. It's in this wash of bands like that. You know, of that style. Well, the. Uh, 
you know, from the from the Christian thing, like, have you actually heard a lot of Christian music, like real Christian music in your day? I, well, I did because I worked at a concert venue and uh, of all different, I mean, you know, basically there, there what would happen where we were, it was uh, Darien Lake, which it was a theme park, but it had a big concert pavilion. So you wouldn't get just one Christian rock band in there. You would get these huge, um, you know, almost like a Monsters of Rock type thing where you would have 15 bands over the whole day. And they would go anywhere from, you know, Spice Girls type pop music into rap, into rock, into, you know, folky acoustic, into almost, you know, gospel Motown style. Yeah. And, the, you know, look, just keep in mind who you're talking to here. All right. I mean, I've. God, I've heard a lot. I'm a lot. big fan of religious music. I like re- I, I like religious music sometimes more than almost you know from wh- whether it's like you know um, Arabic style instrument type of stuff to you know super super gospel bands. But a lot of the a lot what I think a lot of the Christian rock bands suffered from was they were too pasteurized you know they were too um produced and and thank you oh my god do you have any idea how freaking many uh, oh my god like look i came up they they didn't evolve organically you know well yeah and you could just imagine them sitting in some fucking studio somewhere and they're bashing through who who knows it could possibly be hundreds of uh of takes of a particular song before some record label jackass says okay now we've got it you know now i don't know about you but one of my favorite bands of all time led zeppelin they didn't give a flying fuck what like how technically perfect their studio song sounded what they cared about was what did it sound like? I mean, what did it right. did it have a certain mood for it? Texture you know? and mood. And yep. you know, and if it did, if it had that right eh, ambiance, then that's what went on the record. It's not about you could like if you listen to um what's that song? Uh, Misty Mountain Hop. Yeah. There's actually a huge fuck up with the keyboards on there that it. I think they. I, I think basically, John Paul Jones was ex- he just had a brain fart was expecting to go into the solo that they'd already yeah. done at yeah. that point and then he, he catches himself and gets right back into the main riff and keeps up with the band and i'd always wondered what the fuck am i hearing it was a fuck up but there's they, a fuck up in robert plant's double tracking in that too they probably just were like hey let's keep that yeah. it, it, on the first line on the first word that the 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 um I mean, I I don't even know if it was double tracking. Robert Plant would track himself, you know, numerous times. But, it, you know, it goes, wall walking, it, you know, it's just not quite lined. Two of the takes are not quite lined up at the very beginning of it. And it sounds great, you know, it's so part of the song. And, it, yeah, but, and it's not technically what it should be, but somehow it's it, it can overcome that because it's let's face it it's a good fucking album right got heart you know that's the thing it's got person there's personality to it and they were the same way live i was just reading an interview with the guitar player from ween and you might see actually see the singer from ween because i heard he's doing some dates with billy joel oh, okay. but uh um the guitar player from ween 
he describes their you know their their big thing is brown brown music has a sort of funk to it you know and he was talking about how the ultimate live band that played like that was led zeppelin because he'd be listening to to um bootlegs and hear jimmy page just go into this amazing solo but halfway through the solo he would hit some foul notes you know just off off tune or whatever didn't care just kept going or would work them into something interesting and you know so making it amongst the most interesting entertaining concerts ever you know right and distinct and everybody's afraid to do to do i mean there was not i mean when when we would see these big pr- productions and when you have 15 bands you've got to sort of operate it like a machine but at the same time every performance would be you know you could tell they're doing the same thing every day more or less you know there's not much room for variation and yeah and plus back you know i mean led zeppelin ah not so much like a band of buddies <laughs> that met in high school and stuff but they still it was sort of you know there was some camaraderie. They, they put themselves together, you know. J- Jimmy Page put, put, you know, was working on putting a band together or whatever. But it was, it was put together by the band rather than someone going like, "Hey, look, you know, we want to put together a Christian rock band, and we know you have a really good alto voice. We need someone with an alto, <laughs> and you play keyboards too, right? You're in, you know that. And that was how I figured most of the bands that I would see. And it was that way because they were making shitloads of money. They were selling records like you couldn't imagine. CDs were just flying off the off the shelves and merchandise and stuff because they weren't on MTV and they weren't in the record store. So when people came to the show, it was their time to stock up and stuff. And so it was a huge business. And so people don't want to take as many risks. And Zappa, I think, said the best thing about the music industry, and he was like, music industry was way better back in the day when you had the old guys who didn't know shit about music running it, and they would, they would yeah, be like... Yeah, they'd take risks. Yeah, they'd they be like, know. I don't know, throw this band up there, you know, throw all these bands up there. I don't know nothing about none of these, so we'll see what sticks, you know? And then you got, and then when the late 60s, 70s hits hit, and you got... The young people coming in, they all thought they knew what what made good music and what people wanted to hear. And that's when it started all going to crap, is when you go to the record company and they're, they're like, no, no, you can't do that, you got to do this. Whereas it used to be, they'd be just like, I don't know, record it, you know, <laughs> and we'll, we'll see how it does. If it does good, you're, you're getting another record, you know. And so you got all sorts of wacky stuff coming out, and and surprise, surprise, most of the time that wacky stuff, and not most of the time, but a good chunk of the time, that stuff does good because it's new and fresh and novel, and and people go, whoa, what's that? It's been so long since I've heard a band, you know, on like a new band that it was just like, wow, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, <laughs> never heard anything like this before. One of the things that I don't think the music industry ever did as well as the film industry or other industries for that matter. It's like they they were not afraid to release music in different types of genres, but they were always 
there was like this strange fear to cultivate those genres, you know? And like, I think maybe the best example I can think of, you know, of a band that was successful, but not really successful, but still sort of successful. You know, the, um, the uh, band that provides my uh, theme song each week, Dream Theater, not, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, they are not a top 40 band, just because let's face it, there's only a limited number of people out there who want to listen to progressive metal. Right. But they're that they they're they're a band that and they're a band I know who working in bars. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and they play like larger but but they have they've cultivated their audience so well that they have their own little self-contained world. And that's like I think that's like one of the ideal situations for a band is you know they, they Dream Theater can have their own record company they know how many records they're going to sell bottom line because they know how many fans they can look on their their email list mm-hmm. and know that like 99% of those people are going to buy their new album when it comes out mm-hmm. and go see them when they come to town so they can plan plan with that well and that's the thing I, you know I, on the one hand you know you want the band just whoever it is the band to connect to their audience end of the day though in terms of developing the genre and enhancing things and expanding audiences possibly you know that to me is what the record labels should have been doing but refused to do and that's one of the reasons why i i gotta be honest with you the fact that they're in such a miserable state of affairs now it doesn't really bother me because it felt like all they were do all they were really there to do was basically I guess suck bands dry, spit them out, and then move on to the, yeah. you know, to whatever yeah, the next I'm, thing I, is. But they were not enabling anything. They were just I there. revel in their failure. <laughs> I love it. I, 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 if, I, I revel in the fact that they're becoming, you know, the, the moot, a moot point. I've been waiting for it for years. I, I've, you know, that's what uh, I, when, when I was in film school, I was realizing, like, you know, the two industries I'm interested in doing stuff in are the two most evil, shitty industries to get involved with as far as art's concerned. And they're the, like, that's where you got to go. So I, I, I feel, don't feel bad for either of them, not one bit. They, they dug their own grave and they're just sitting in it, you know? So. Well, and, but, you know, like the thing is, for as, for as, as much as I don't really care about. The, the music business because like I said I mean there are just so many reasons to not give a shit you know I don't yeah. really have that same hostility towards Hollywood quite as much because end of the day you know I cannot go out there and then direct my own Avengers film nobody right. can do that only Hollywood right. can give us that and so it's like on the one hand it, it feels like they need to be taught a lesson too. I don't want to see them completely go away. They won't, because as long as you need multi-billion dollars to do that, someday though, you could do the Avengers on your computer. <laughs> you could now, actually. Joe, average, I could do the Avengers on the computer. It would just be a lifelong project. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. It just that kind of. That kind of a thing, like the big tentpole releases, like basically the the stuff that I think Hollywood secretly hates themselves for having to make. 
Mm -hmm. That is actually what I would actually miss the most. But, you know, other mm -hmm. things, you know, I got to tell you, there's just so few, so few movies coming out uh, anymore that don't have, that they're not based on like a book or a comic or just, or whatever, a show that I really give a damn about anymore. You know, I just, I don't really feel like I connect with them anymore, you know? So, wow, what a... Uh, I was just going to say, we should we should probably get going because I'm meeting up with uh, Gardner at 3. We're going to do um, X-Men Days of Future Past commentary. Oh, badass, all right. Yeah, uh, we can go ahead and get into that. But uh, I guess first up, uh, are you are you recording this right now? Yeah. All right, well, uh, two things. Number one... Um, it's actually kind of an interesting conversation. Would you mind if I just sit on this for some kind of like future? Oh, movie? sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I I was sort of thinking that while we were doing it, I was like, this is almost another film. Not last time, but like a couple times ago. All right. So then, in three, two, one. Hello, and welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host Magnus, and I've got a deep and abiding affection for non-fiction comics. As a matter of fact, I love nonfiction comics so much that every seventh episode, I select an entry in the DC Paradox Press line of big books, and I talk about it. And I call these episodes the Big, big book, book Report. But this isn't something I do all by myself. Nope. Joining me as usual is Two True Freaks co-host and moonshine enthusiast, Mr. Chris Honeywell. Welcome back, sir. How you doing? I am quite well, quite well. You, uh, you all right there? You, you're been hit, hitting the Kentucky Lightning. <laughs> well, yeah, and I thought, you know what? Of all episodes I've ever done, this could be a convenient time for uh, Pete Hash to make a couple of <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a real failure. back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast illogic foolish emotions a constant irritant and freak two on the circus <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, shit. Oh. It's a super prize package worth $9,388. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head. Punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner, 
He killed a police officer, for Christ's sake. Thank God, then, lucky he didn't kill all of them. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, let's go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Julia, shoot. I say shut up! It's a man house! A man home! together from the disparate reaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. Ryan, the toy geek. Scott, the award-winning radio host. Jeff, Scott's minion. Ron, just Ron, dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind, it's Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at 2TrueFreaks.com. Okay, I'm going to do the promo now. Really? Finally. Okay, let's do the promo. What do you mean, let's do the promo? I'm the one who has to do it. Well, get on with it then. Okay, okay, here we go. Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, the Mighty Thor, the Captain America. Wow, being dramatic there, aren't we? Do, do you think it's too much? Should I back off? No, 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 you're fine. You, you're good. Okay. You've seen the Earth's mightiest heroes in the Avengers franchise of films. Now you can enjoy the stories that have inspired those films through the magic of comic podcasting. Magic of podcasting? You sure about that one? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're awesome. Like, magic. Only without actually seeing any magical things. Just go with it, go with it, go with it. Okay. Don't forget to tell them what we're actually doing on the show. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So join Lily Wilson, the awesomest teenage comics fan in the world, Mm -hmm. as her father takes her through all the early comics that feature characters from the Avengers franchise of films. And some that aren't in those films yet, but will be. Because we started with the Ant-Man before we had a full film. Oh, well, yeah. And don't forget Spider-Man. He's not looking at Avenger, but he's there. Oh, okay. So um, maybe it should be that feature characters that have been, are currently, or will one day be in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Better. And where should they go not see this magical podcasty goodness? New episodes can be found... Fa- <coughs> do I have to do the voice? Yes, you do. Okay, okay. New episodes can be found at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website, cmro.travis-starns.com, and clicking under the Podcasts tab. Or on iTunes by searching Complete Marvel Reading Order, or just search for the name of the show itself. Um, Dad? Don't you think we should actually say the name of our show? Oh, 
Yeah, Avengers Inspirations podcast. Listen and stuff. Yeah, good job, Dad. Thank you. back now and in case it wasn't obvious what you just heard was me and chris honeywell warming up for episode 91 the big book report about the big book of vice and the reason that you heard all of that was number one i thought it was a sort of interesting conversation thought you guys might enjoy it but number two this episode which is to say episode number 89, was originally intended to be something else entirely. But for reasons absolutely beyond my control, it ended up just not happening. And I'm really not interested in discussing the matter too much beyond that. It's just what I intended this episode to be ended up not exactly coming to pass. And so because of that, I had to find something to fill in this episode, and I already had Chris's permission, as you heard, to use that little discussion that he and I had basically for anything I want, and so that's what I decided to do. So thought maybe you'd get a little bit of a kick out of listening to that, and I don't know. I just, I, it just seemed like it made a lot of sense to, I don't know, play something that I think that you guys usually don't get to listen to a whole lot. And that is the warm-up for any show. Because when I have a guest on my show, not always, but a lot of times we just go straight into recording. And so there's oftentimes not really much more to our conversation than that which you heard in the episode itself. But in a lot of cases, and I find that this is true, especially of Chris, when he and I talk, we usually just shoot the shit for a while and just kind of get up for the game. After which we start recording, and then usually that's the stuff that you hear. But every once in a while, we get these little golden nugget conversations that I thought that you guys might enjoy listening to. And we actually had a kind of a ball talking about it. You know, music and all of this stuff, you know, the state of the entertainment industry, technological developments, etc., etc., etc. And so because of that, it felt like it was far enough off the beaten path as far as my usual subject matter is concerned, go ahead and at least give you guys a little bit of a glimpse as to what's going on, you know, what it is that he and I talk about. And th what you heard is not exactly the unedited conversation. There was a tiny little cut that I made because I basically made a comment that I thought might upset one of my listeners in particular. And so I thought, well, I don't want that person to feel like he's being picked on or called out or anything like that. It wasn't about this particular listener. It was about a particular subject, shall we say, that the listener is interested in. And if you listen close, you'll actually see that there's a sort of non sequitur moment where I start talking about something that Honeywell hadn't even mentioned. Well, that's when the cut took place, because like I say, I didn't want this person to feel like uh, he was being picked on or that his taste in some in something was being 
called into question. And so that's pretty much the only cut that was made in the thing. Otherwise, the recording that you heard was more or less the conversation that Chris and I had. So as I say, hope you enjoyed it. It was uh, a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. This is the kind of stuff that he and I usually talk about prior to recording. And as a matter of fact, you're going to be getting kind of an earful of that in really just a couple of weeks because when he and I were recording a different uh, big book report, this I think was, if memory serves, it was not the big book of little criminals. It was whichever one uh, came before the uh, uh, the big book of criminals. Was it the big book of little criminals? Actually, I'm not really sure, but it I don't but I don't think it was. I'm pretty sure that this was actually about the big uh, the big book of death. Uh, I'm pretty sure that he and I were, you know, recording that and we had a kind of an interesting conversation and so that is going to be what you hear in episode number 96 for May the 19th, 2015, which is obviously, you know, a few weeks away. Further out even than episode 91, the Big Book Report, Vice. And so all around, I just thought it would be kind of fun to let you guys listen to this stuff. Maybe you get a kick out of it, maybe you won't. But at the very least, it's out there now, so do with it as you will. So I think that's pretty much it for me. So for next week, though, what I'm going to be talking about is The Flash, Born to Run, with J. David Weeder, but you can call him Dave. He's the host of Dave's Daredevil podcast. He decided that uh, he wanted to join in with me for the discussion about Mark Wade's Flash Born to Run storyline, or Flash Year One, as some people are wont to call it. And so he decided he wanted to join in on that. Uh, great time was had by all. That episode's finished. It's in the can. And it's pretty much ready to go. So, uh, like I say, hope you guys really enjoy that as well. Otherwise, I think that's pretty much it for me this week. So, bye, everybody. I will see you next week. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com, which is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can also find it on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. You can email me and my parole officer at TrentusMagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me. And I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. 
It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsecor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>